Heavenly Father, you are all those things. There is nothing that we can desire that compares with you. Although we live in a world, we live in a country where we want to accumulate more and more and more things, but none of them satisfy. None of them are enough. But Father, I know when we turn to you and we submit ourselves to you and we look to all the things that you've given to us, you have done way more than give us our daily bread. You put the breath in our lungs and you pick us up and put us on the right path. You've blessed us in innumerable ways. And for that, Father, we thank you. We are so grateful to you for what you've done for us. And even the ultimate sacrifice of sending your one and only son to die for us so that we might have life, to live a life that we could not live up to, for paying the price that we couldn't pay. Father, we say thank you. We're so grateful for you, for your love, your mercy, your goodness, all those things, Father. Thank you for loving us in this special way. Father, as we open up your word here, won't you speak to us here this morning? Help us to see how we have continually gone astray, but how faithful that you likewise continually are. How your love is above and beyond measure. And help us to see how we can live out our faith in you. So we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you all please turn with me in your copy of God's Word. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. Continue our series in the book of Romans here this morning. You know, as we were reading through Romans, or whenever we read through the Bible, hopefully we read it in such a way, one, that we would know or get to know God and who he is and understand his character, uh, but also understand ourselves, understand how God has fashioned us and he's put us here uh, for a particular purpose, each and every one of us. And he's called us to live in uh, such a way that, that glorifies him. Isn't it interesting that the, the God of the universe who spoke and everything leapt into existence I don't know if you get the magnitude of this, that he also knitted you together in your mother's womb. That the God of the universe knows you by name and, and loves you. He cares for you in, in ways that are unimaginable. Now, we, when we think about love, we, we have this, this human thought of what love looks like. And love for a lot of us is a feeling, but that's not how God loves us. God, God's love for us is, is an action that is on display every moment of every day since the foundation of the world. He is showing his love for his people. And it's because of that love that we would follow him. It's because of that love that we submit our lives to him. It's because of that love that we would do things that, that, that bring him glory, that please him. It's interesting, I went to a, a church uh, for a while, 
And um, I started to notice something after being there in the congregation for a while. We might have an event, and um, to put it lightly, some, some of the things that they would talk about will be a little off-color at a church event. And they would, you know, talk a different kind of way, stuff that you would hear in the locker room, probably not appropriate for a church event. But I noticed something. When, when the pastor would come by, everything would change. It was like they were totally different people when the pastor came and they started using churchy words and doing all this talk about their Bible study and all that. And as soon as he left, they started going back to the locker room talk. And I'm like, what is happening here? What was actually going on that they would want to put on these airs, put on this mask when the pastor come around, but think it's okay <laughs> To, to go back to normal when, when he goes away. I hope none of you feel that way around me. I hope, I hope everybody feels normal and authentic and they can relax and let your hair down around me because let me tell you something, you, you, you're not pleasing me. You're not here to, to show yourself as somebody you're not to me. It doesn't matter. You're not accountable to me. You, brothers and sisters, are accountable to God. It doesn't matter what I think. You can put on all the airs around me that you want to. One, it don't work. I'm a good judge of character. I can see through stuff. I, I know fake when I see it. But secondly, God sees all of it. Even if you could fool me, even if you fool your neighbor, even if you could fool your family, you are not fooling God. So why fake it? Why try to appear like you're something that you're not? As we learned in Romans, like we, we all know right from wrong, just do right. It's funny when, when we talk about people lying, and I've told my kids this, like, if you don't lie, you don't have to remember nothing. If you tell the truth, then you don't have to remember the story you told because you're telling the truth all the time. I mean, it sounds simple, but maybe it's not when we get into things like this. But I want you to know and realize that you are ultimately accountable to God. I can't get you into heaven. I mean, I'm here to help equip you the best I can. I'm here to expound on the scriptures so that you will be transformed and compelled. But man, you got to do the work. You're the one that's got to spend the time with God. You got to be the one that spends the time in Scripture getting to know Him. You got to be the one spending time on your knees with Him in prayer. So you're wasting your time trying to, in your energy, trying to make yourself look a certain way around people that ultimately doesn't matter. You, along with everybody else in the world, are accountable to God who sees all, who knows all. And, it, and it's not until we get this right, we think we'd be good, doing a good thing. We think we're doing okay as long as we're fooling other people, but you're not going to fool God. As a reminder, as we pick up here in chapter 3 in Romans, at this point in the letter um, to Romans, Paul is addressing many of the reasons or excuses that people refuse 
to admit that they are sinners. They, they refuse to follow God. And these folks say something like, well, there, maybe there is no God. You know, we, we hear this even today. Oh, well, uh, I, I believe in uh, spirituality. You know, like in, I'm a spiritual person. I don't believe in religion. Maybe there's a God. Maybe there isn't. And there's people out there to blatantly say, there's, no, there is no God, despite all the evidence. And, and Paul talks about that earlier in chapters 1 and 2, about the evidence that is there for God that people just continue to suppress. Or people will say, well, I just follow my conscience. Right, that should, that should be good enough. I don't do too bad to people, so I should be okay. Or, matter of fact, I'm not as bad as other people, so I should be all right. I should get into heaven, right? Because I'm not out murdering every day. I'm not doing things that would end me in jail or, or anything like that, so that I should be okay. I should be fine. Or some, some people might say, well, I'm, I belong to such and such church, so I got to be good, right? I go and I... People know me at church, and maybe I led a Bible study, and I prayed out loud one time. Man, that's got to be worth something, right? The reality is that nobody is exempt from God's judgment of sin. Not, not me, not you. All of us have to answer. All of us will be judged one day. And this is why the gospel message is so important. This is why Paul continuously hammers home to the people in Rome what the gospel is. This is why, brothers and sisters, why we're spending so much time in this letter, because I want you to get it too. Just like Paul is hammering this home, I'm going to continue to do just like Paul. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what I'm trying to do. I want you to hear this. I want you to know this so that we would not leave, leave it up to our own devices or figure out like, I'm just going to do whatever I can. I'm going to do it on my own, or I'm going to do nothing at all. Every one of us must admit that we are sinners and condemned before God, and we are desperate in need of a Savior. All of us are in desperate need of a Savior. So there's some so-called churches out there that don't talk about sin. These places, they, they don't want to talk about hell and they say, well, we would rather um, have some uplifting messages. I can't even call them sermons. They, they would rather have uplifting messages so that you would be motivated to be a good person. That you would leave and that you would feel good. Well, if you came here for that, you're going to be sorely disappointed. That, that's not how I operate. I don't want you to feel good all the way to hell. I need you to know the reality. I need you to know the truth so that you would be able to respond to God and his call on your life. My goal is for you to see your own sin so that you will see your need for a savior, that you would see your need for Christ and what he's done for you and that you might follow him earnestly, truly, honestly, I can't do it for you. And this is important. Here's what John Piper, former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church, has said about this particular section in Romans. He says this, this is not a popular message. It is no more popular than a doctor's words, your tumor is malignant, but is vastly more helpful. 
your tumor is malignant may not may or may not be hopeful news because the doctor may or may not have a cure for your cancer. But you are under the power of sin and a child of wrath that has a cure. And that is what the book of Romans and what Christianity and the Bible are all about. Right? He's saying, hey, you might get this bad news. You might get a, a bad prognosis from a doctor. And we'll figure out that I'm sure they're going to do the best they can to help you out to get on the other side. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but there is something else that ails us. There is a problem, brothers and sisters, that each of us have, and that problem is sin. But there is a cure. And we can be sure that there's a cure, and that cure, his name is Jesus. And that's what I need you to get. That's what I need you to understand. That's what I need you to uh, hear, that there is hope in this hopeless world. And it's only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He is the only way. Look with me in chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. Here God's word reads, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way to begin with, the, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their, unfa their, their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though uh, everyone were a liar. As it was written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So I want you to remember as we're going through and we're reading through this, what, what Paul is showing on display is that the Jews, they were wrapped up in this religiosity. They, they were wrapped up in all these things. They were doing all these things that, that pertain to religion, but, but their hearts were not changed. They leaned more into these religious rituals than being fully obedient to God. So, the question is being asked here is, you know, he's, he's actually playing like he's a lawyer in the courtroom and he's trying to answer the questions before they're even asked. They say, so does their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? That might sound weird. But God's faithfulness, as we know, as we should know, is not contingent on Israel's response. God is not faithful to say, well, as long as you do good, then I'm going to do my part. As long as you did do this, then I'm going to do that. That's not how God operates. That's not how his faithfulness works. Fortunately for Israel and us, even though we continually break the law, God remains faithful to his word. And, and as a parent, that's tough. When, when your kids don't do exactly what you ask them to do or they're, they're going this way and you want them to go that, you just go, well, I'm just going to, they're going to figure it out. They got to do it on their own. But God, in his faithfulness, it's like, I'm still going to be there for my people. I'm still going to love them despite themselves. Despite the area that I'm going to pick them up and I'm going to put them back where they belong. God's faithfulness is not overcome by our faith faithfulness, regardless of how destitute we are. Paul says, if God were true, even though everyone is a liar. 
God knows. God sees. God understands. Psalm 116 and 11 says, I set my alarm and all mankind are liars. Hmm. All mankind are liars. Even though the world is full of liars, God never lies. God is always true. God is always faithful. And this should comfort us. This should give us even more hope because we live in a world full of fake news. I don't care what your choice of news station is, but it's, it's all fake news. And we're in even more above and beyond this, we're starting to see artificial intelligence come to fruition. You know all those Terminator movies? They're coming to life. We're starting to see artificial intelligence come and, and soon, and it's already starting to happen where you'll see videos of people do, in places where they never were and you won't be able to refute it. You won't be able to tell the, the real from things that was fake. We get used to like, oh man, that, fit, that, that, that was Photoshop, that picture, that was Photoshop. It's going to get worse. And we're not going to be able to identify the truth from a lie. And there will be more and more lies, but we should take comfort in the fact that God is always faithful. God is always true. When there's nowhere else for us to turn, when we can't get the, the effective news to, to understand what's happening in our world today, we will always have the scripture that never changes. That will always be true. If you can't have solace in the world and what's going on, you can always find hope in God and his word. His word is entirely trustworthy. Look with me in verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that, that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. This is just crazy what's going on here. I don't know if you're getting this. The, the questions that are being laid out or, or just, I, I, I don't know how, even how you come up with it. Put it another way, as we read through this, Paul is anticipating somebody saying, well, aren't we doing God a favor by sinning? That's essentially what's, what's happening here. Because uh, it's laying out, well, if, if God's faithfulness, we can see his faithfulness, we can see his truth come because it's being held against the, the lies and the unfaithfulness, if that's the way we see God's faithfulness, isn't it good that I am unfaithful? Isn't it good that I lie? Because when I lie, then you can see God's truth. I mean, does, who's that make sense to? Like why, other than just our flesh and our pride, would you even think something like this? If we commit unrighteous acts and God's righteousness is able to be seen, they're saying, isn't that a good thing? Should, should I be patted on the back for that? Because I'm helping God out, right? I don't think God needs our help. I don't think he needs us to, to lend a hand to him. 
They, they say, well, how can, be God, how can God be angry about all this if, if his glory is manifest through all these things? If, if lying makes God's truth look glorious, then, then why should I be condemned? But they forget that we serve a holy and righteous God. And he wouldn't be righteous if he did not condemn. I mean, what judge would just let people go with impunity? Oh, well, I, I know you caused this five-car accident and you're on drugs and fell asleep, whatever it is, but, you know, just don't do it anymore. Just, all right? Like, what kind of judge would that be? We serve a judge who is good and righteous, and this obviously denies the fact that God will ultimately judge the world in this perfect righteousness. Genesis 18 and 25 says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Then Psalm 96 and 13 is before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes on a judge, comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in their faithfulness. So some folks, they don't think they have to worry about sin. They don't think sin is a big deal. They think, well, it's, I mean, it's God's job to, to forgive, right? Like that's what he's supposed to do. They think they, they have earned it or deserve it in some way, God's forgiveness. Or they think, well, God is so loving, then he's just going to love us, you know, to death. And we'll be okay. He won't judge us. At least he won't be harsh. Or they might say, well, sin isn't so bad. Like we, we talked before about the white lies and different things, the way we try to diminish what it is that we're doing. No, it's a big deal. From... from what we would consider small to the big, it's all the same to God. It's too easy for us to take God's grace for granted. However, it doesn't matter how many excuses we make, and we have to answer to God for our sin. It doesn't matter where you are. We've you got to have an answer. A just God cannot overlook sin. So one day we'll stand before him and We'll have to answer to the things that we did. We'll have to answer to the things that we didn't do. And we will be judged for it. We'll get here later, but in Romans chapter 6, in verse 1 and 2, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Basically, our, so we know God has given us his grace. We know God has sent one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, right? We all know that. So, right, so I should be able to go out and do whatever I want to do, right? As long as I believe in, in God, as long as I believe in Jesus. Paul is like, no, let's get this right. Let's get this straight. You cannot go out and sin with abandonment. In verse 2, it says, by no means, how can we who die still live in it? How can you call yourself a Christ follower and you still live like the world? You're still following the world. It, it, it's words only. It don't mean anything. It's dangerous for us to not only exhibit sinful behavior, but also 
um, this, the sin in our thoughts, the sin in our reasoning. Like you can put on the airs, you can put on the masks around people, but it's the heart. That's what Jesus was talking about. It's, it's all about the heart. We need to be careful that we don't play these theological gymnastics in order to hide from the reality of God's holiness. To try to explain it away, like, well, oh, well, you know, what had happened was I really didn't think it was that big a deal. And you know, start to rewrite what God has specifically told us to do or not do. And that's exactly what we see, the twisting of Scripture in such a way that it aligns with what I want to do, what I want to believe, but it doesn't align with the God who wrote it. That's a dangerous place to be. And not somewhere where you want to be. Paul goes even deeper here, starting in verse 10. He says, As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. So, <laughs> I love how he answers the question before he even comes up. He's like, no one is righteous. Like, oh, but like, no, not one. But, but what about no, not one? But when I said no, not one, I don't care who you think you are. I don't care how much good you think you've done. No, not even you. Verse 11 says, no one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside and together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of apps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths there are ruin and misery. And the way to peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth who may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Oof. If you came here for a feel-good message, this is not the day. No one who does good, no, not one. Paul is referring to Psalm 14, 1 through, 7, 1 through 3, where it says, A fool says in his heart, there is no God. This is what a fool says. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. They, there is no, none who is, does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. I like how Paul flips it on them because he's talking to people who know the scripture. They know this psalm. And while they're fooling themselves, saying that they got their stuff together and that they're doing all right, Paul says, hey, remember this? Hey, you remember what the psalmist said here? Let me, let me refresh your memory. Every person is valuable in God's eyes because God created each of us in his image. So that's definitely true. But at the same time, no one can live up to God's perfect standard. As try as we might, there's, there's no way that we can live up to a standard. Does not mean we don't try? Of course, we, we continue to try. We strive for that. 
That is our target. That's what we're hoping to attain, even though we won't get there, but we still try. But even though we are valuable, we, are, we just continuously fall into sin. Each and every one of us, me included, continue to fall into sin, continue to do things that we ought not do, continue to say things that we ought not say. Think about it like this. Think about the law as a mirror. And so when you look in the mirror, it shows you who you really are. It shows you what you really look like, unless you have one of those distorted mirrors, and I don't think you have one of those in your house. But in a regular mirror that you have in your house, if you look in that mirror, it shows you who you are. It shows your messed up hair. It shows the food in your teeth, the boogers in your nose. It shows all that. There's no way you can get away from it. But notice, and we know this, that the mirror doesn't fix anything. The mirror shows you who you are, what you really look like. It shows you the things that need to be fixed. It shows you the things that need to be repaired. And this is the one thing that many cults get wrong when they twist Scripture in different ways. Even though we are under the new covenant, some folks believe they still have to uphold the Old Testament law. However, the law was not designed to fix you, but it reveals the need for fixing. It reveals our need for a Savior because we can't live up to those laws. The law reveals our need for Jesus and why he came. The law condemns us, but the law is not our basis for hope, fortunately, because God is our hope. God is the one we put everything in, and it's his, his righteousness and his wonderful love that God gives us eternal life. And that should excite us. That should get us motivated, get us going. So we don't receive salvation through the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's so important. We do not receive salvation through the law, but from the free gift through Jesus Christ. So we can't do more. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do in order to get better or get ourselves into heaven. We accept it as a gift from our loving Heavenly Father that he just gives freely. Paul is saying here that no one is righteous and we're unable to secure salvation apart from God's provision. And left to our own devices, it's just all bad. There's nothing that we could do. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps to make anything right. There's no hope without God's grace and Christ's righteousness. That's just how it is. We are completely ignorant of God's magnitude until the Holy Spirit opens up our spiritual eyes. And it's by God's grace that we even seek him because he draws himself. He draws us to himself. That's the only hope that we have. And if we're spiritually ignorant, we don't seek God. We, we seek our own way. We want to do things on our own, uh, the way we think it should be done. Last week we talked about how uh, in Scripture it says a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. 
Paul here is expressing the fact that everything done apart from Jesus is worthless. You do it on your own, you do it for your own pride, you, you do it because you want to make yourself feel good, or whatever the case is, it's worthless. No one does good, not even one. Then there's a sense that through God's common grace, unbelievers can contribute to society and have some positive effects. I think that's true. But when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it still doesn't measure up. It's still not enough that you can do to earn your way into heaven. None of us are so good that we don't need Christ's saving grace. We all need this gift that he gives. But it doesn't only stop at our actions. I want you to think about your speech as well. Jesus says in Matthew 12 and 34, it says, <laughs> he goes after it, you brood of vipers. Imagine that conversation. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hmm. Paul takes it even further by saying here in verse 13, it says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of apps is under their lips. Man, just get this picture. Why do we cover up graves? Think about that. And when someone passes away, you know, we put them in a, in a casket. We, we, well, we, they get embalmed and we put them in a casket and dig up the earth and put them down in the earth and, and cover with, with dirt. Why, why do we go through all that trouble? And one is out of respect, but two is so that we don't see the decay. And so that we don't see all the corruption that takes place once that body gets, gets into the earth. Paul is saying, your throat is like an open grave. Your, your throat is like an open grave, and the way you talk is full of corruption and infection. It's nasty, it's dirty, it's unhelpful, it's offensive. Instead of speaking of... Uh, and being dedicated to the truth, you rather practice deceit. Then verse 14 goes on to describe the hostility of lashing out and cursing and, and bitterness. Guilty. Man, when you, somebody just riles you up, pushes your buttons, and sometimes you forget that you're saved. I mean... It's something we have to deal with. We have to understand what it is and what that looks like. And so it's important for us to guard our words and guard them carefully. Look with me in verse 15. It says, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. When we sin, it, it leaves behind a trouble. It leaves behind pain. And not just for you, but also others around you. People say, well, I'm not hurting anybody. This is my choice and I, it's only affecting me, but that's not how it works. It does have ripples and repercussions for the people that are around you. Instead of peace, you experience restlessness because of this. But of course, the world wants to make light 
of sin and everything. And if you go to Las Vegas, it's known as Sin City, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I don't think that's true, depending on what you do. You're going to bring something back with you. These adult clubs and shows are called sensational. Like, this is, like, this is a good thing. They, they want to promote it as if, uh, yes, you should come and, and just do whatever you want to and, and have fun. But the reality is that the sin leads to misery, it leads to death. When you look at Adam and Eve in, in the garden and the serpent came, and it's like, well, you know, I know God says something about you might die, but you won't die. They didn't die physically, but man, spiritually, it was a wreck. And that's what we're living through now. It's just this internal struggle that all of us have because of sin in this world. One of the churchy words Christians use today is the word saved. Now, folks don't know what saved is. You talk to people who didn't grow up in church, and that's more and more people as time goes on, and people just don't darken the doors of a church. They don't want to go. Maybe they'll go for a wedding or something like that, but surely they don't, they don't read the Bible. They don't go to church. They don't understand any of this stuff. So you're talking about saved. Saved from what? I'm good. I'm all right. They think they're, everything is, is fine, but the reality is that they're not fine. They're not all right. They, they know it and try to fill this guy-sized hole with anything they can find. They pour themselves into work. They, they find adulterous relationships. They, they, they use alcohol or maybe it's gambling, drugs, all these kind of things that, that people are trying to do just to fill what they, they, they know is missing from their lives. So we have to hold up a mirror for them to see how messed up they really are. That's what it takes. That's what it takes for you. That's what it takes for everybody else. But it sounds mean, but, you know, would you want to know if your hair was messed up? Would you want to know if you got fooled in your, your teeth? And if you don't have a mirror, you might ask somebody you trust. And would you want them to tell you the truth? You got something in your nose. Would you want somebody to pull you to the side like, hey, you need to fix this? That's, that's why it is so important. Once they understand their spiritual condition, then they'll start to understand something has to be done about it. When they see how messed up and broken they are, they'll see, like, this needs fixing. What am I going to do? How do I respond? What's the next step? And he, let me tell you, let me tell you about a man named Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done for you, what he's done for me. He gave up his life so that you can live. That you had this, this penalty of sin, this, this weight and, and, uh, that needs to be paid, these depths that, that, that continue to, to grow and compound. But Jesus paid it all for you. And all you need to do is follow him. All you need to do is trust in him. That's when they'll understand that their need for a savior and they'll choose to trust him for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But they got to see in the mirror first. They got to see like they're, they're, they're not trying to have this behavior modification and be accountable to you or anybody else. 
that ultimately they are accountable to God. Even the most intelligent, athletic, beautiful person needs to know that that's not all there is to this life. We watch people on TV and, oh man, they're so beautiful, they're so talented, they got everything that they can ever want or desire. But unless they have Jesus, they have nothing. They can have all this stuff, but it's only momentary. But what we have with Jesus is internal. Forever. And never, never, never. In his commentary, Martin Lloyd-Jones put um, verse 20 in this way. He says, the greater your understanding of the sinfulness of your condition, the greater will be your understanding of the love and the grace and compassion and the mercy of God. When you understand how messed up you are, then you can see how good God is. And I don't know about you, but something I see day after day, time after time, moment after moment, man, I'm just, I don't deserve this. But God, he still uses me. He still blesses me. He still looks after my family. The stuff he's done for this church is unimaginable. The people in the church, I mean, we could line up for days and talk about the testimony of what God has done and just be here for hours and hours and hours. It is amazing. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I hope you would consider what we talked about here today. And I've heard stories of, you know, people hearing the gospel, even people that are on staff at a church. This particular story was of a, a pastor's wife. They had a guest preacher come in and he preached a similar message. And she noticed there was something different. For years, she had taught Sunday school, teaching children and, and saying all these things. But it was at this moment, at this particular message, she knew that she had never gotten it. She realized after some 20 years that she never understood the gospel. And so she got up that day in front of everybody and submitted her life to Christ. It's never too late. Don't worry about, like I said, what other people think don't matter. So even if you've been here for years and years, and this is your first time really getting, I mean, being impacted by the gospel, take your next step. Let, let, me, let me pray for you. Let me, Vic is, is in the back. He can pray for you for your life to be transformed. Or maybe this is the first time you're hearing it at all, and, or you want to know more about what this looks like for you in your life. That's what we're here for. It's my job to walk with you, to pray with you, to encourage you on your walk with Jesus Christ. Because you're accountable to him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much. Even with a message like this that is, is very impactful, it really shows us who we are. We get to see through this lens 
and be honest about who we are and, and what we've done or not done. But Father, I, I love that through all of this, you remain faithful. You remain loving and caring. You care for us so much that you wanted to provide this message. That's how we know that you love us, that you won't just let us stay out here and uh, go into the wind, that you care for us enough to show us how messed up we are. And at the same time, show us how good you are. What we have and what you've done for us. Father, help us to live our lives knowing this truth. Help us to be a walking, talking testimony of who you've been for us in our lives so that not just for our own sake, but for others who might be changed and transformed in the same way, that they might have hope in this hopeless world because of who you are and what you've done. Help us not to be ashamed, but to know that the gospel is the power unto salvation and lean on that. Father, we thank you so much in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.